She's like, right now, she's Good like, afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 99%. My name is Jesse Vondracek. I'm here with Elliot. Hey, everybody. And Marilyn. Yo, what's up? And today, we are going to talk about race day nutrition. Before we get into that, we are going to ask, answer, answer a listener question. The question of the day is... What is your go-to recovery between hard training days? I'm going to start since I train the least recently. Um, in the past, when I the long ago past, I would say my go-to, if it was a true, like I'm broken recovery was I cannot move. And I probably eventually by 7 PM, I went out for a jog or I literally spun my bike to the river, jumped in the river and then rode home. So essentially nothing, um, until late in the day and then a really, really light spin or a shuffle around the block. And then, um, currently realistically, what I should do is a whole bunch of yoga and, stretching and foam rolling, maybe get a massage. And then because I'm so out of shape, it would just be walking or a super light spin and never attempt running. I realize I'm not mentioning swimming. That's because swimming is not a large part of my life. Um, but that's what I would say for, for both like 15 years ago and present. Yeah. I think, uh, for me, the go-to would be swimming for sure. I always feel like swimming is like one of those things that even when you, when you, you can feel like so dead, and so sore and actually like a recovery swim, I feel better than I do even after a massage. Like sometimes I can get a massage and I'll be more sore after the massage than if I just go for a swim. And I don't, I don't really swim that much anymore, but if I'm like really dead and really sore and feel really just like I'm dying, that's the, that's the definite go-to is I'll, I'll, I'll head out for, even if it's just 500 meters and kick the legs in the pool. And, um, that's, that's my go-to. I just want everybody to know you can go ahead and take that advice, but when you cramp up halfway down the lane, it's not my fault. It's Marilyn's fault. <laughs> but anyways, uh, that's personal trauma. I'm also a big fan of the, the recovery swim. Uh, I do a fair amount of like Thursdays and Saturdays hard. And then Friday try and like get, get back to business between the two. And one thing I try and do is make sure I keep my nutrition like pretty solid. Like I don't stop eating Friday because I'm not training that hard. I really make sure I'm like still hammering a fair amount of carbohydrate because if you're going to be stacking days, even if they're not back to back, like your body's kind of busy repairing. And, and I see some athletes kind of back off on those recovery days. And, and it all depends on how big your on days are. Right. But I like to eat pretty consistently so that even those days that are recovery, I'm, I'm feeling pretty well to make sure I'm, I'm stored and topped up for that next day. And yeah, I like swimming and I like doing any, like, I, I like to make sure the goal of the session, no matter what it is, is so that I feel better the following day. So whether it's an easy swim, an easy spin, I don't often do like an easy run for recovery, but let's just say I am that the whole goal of those things is going to be, okay, I want to feel better when I'm done than when I started. So if that means I'm riding my bike at 15 miles an hour or 12 miles an hour is super easy, then that's fine. If I'm swimming and like Marilyn said, I get an 800 or something, it doesn't matter. The only goal is to feel better the next day. So that's what, that's, that's how my headspace is. And that's kind of my attitude towards those activities. 
when I'm kind of spacing it out between hard days. So off the legs, eat food. Yes. That's well, it seems like that's the consensus amongst the people who've actually done triathlon recently. <laughs> Maybe who you should go to for advice, but anyways. So the topic of the day is race day nutrition. Before we get into that, I want to give everybody a quick reminder. If you are still listening to this podcast, even after the intro, which is a big step, thank you. Uh, feel free to uh, share it with your friends. Uh, give us a like, give us a comment. If there's something you don't like, please let us know. And we would love to try and do better. Unless it's about me, then just keep it to yourself. But Elliot and Marilyn are totally fair game. It's true. <laughs> Elliot only. <laughs> I can handle it. Um, so race day nutrition, I feel like kind of starts even, even the week leading into the race. Yeah. We're saying race day, but, uh, functionally it's almost, it's race week or at the very least, let's say three days before the race. Is that fair to say? Yeah. So let's start with that, that three days before the race, Elliot, do you have like a, a protocol or something you kind of talk to your athletes through with that or? Well, wait, let's so, first let's say like what length of race, what are we talking about here? Short course, long course, five, 5k, 5k, 5k. <laughs> like, I mean, that's pretty different for different length of race. Right. So let's make sure we know which length race we're talking about. Let's pretend we're talking about any race two hours and up. I think it's fair to say, you know, if you're basically, you're saying a marathon or an Olympic distance, a fast marathon, Olympic distance, um, uh, a half marathon for some people, and then obviously half Ironman, Ironman, long bike race, long gravel ride, something of that nature, swimming across an ocean that all fits in. Um, and while we're on the topic, since gravel riding is a little more popular and I coach a bunch of people who are doing a three day gravel stage race, I would also include that if you were going to do multiple days in a row on the bike, um, I would say the three days before what we let's, let's kind of give the plan for all of those options. Yeah. And for the, for the purposes podcast, I'd say leaning more towards that longer stuff. Yep. Um, then, but the good thing is if you're prepared for a longer race, um, you're going to be prepared for that two hour race or that three hour race as well. Awesome. Marilyn, does that satisfy your question? It does. Thank you. I just wanted to make sure that we weren't talking about a 20 minute race or something. <laughs> cool. So three days out, do either of you have a, have a go-to or something you kind of recommend for your athletes? I, yeah, I do. Um, <laughs> we do. is it, is uh, it change everything? And that's the all day, every day. No, just joking. so I think, so three days out is more what you don't do. And I would say three days out is when you really start, um, to eat familiar for lack of a better word. Everyone's stomach is different. Some people listening to this have an iron stomach and more or less can ignore this, but a lot of people have a handful of things that they eat sparingly or they eat. And maybe the next day doesn't go super well. Even if it's only a little bit of stomach distress, we're going to have to talk about it. Diarrhea happens. And, um, it, the important thing to remember is that can dehydrate you. And that's not a great thing to have two days out from a race or three days out from a race, especially if you're traveling, you're just generally under a lot of stress. It might be hard as you're traveling to eat regular or whatever's regular for you. So you're just trying to eat as familiar as possible and stay hydrated. 
And it's not so much that you need to start stacking calories three days out, but you want to make sure that the easy workouts you're doing don't cause a deficit. So we don't want to be digging a hole. So we're not necessarily adding on three days out, but we're making sure we're avoiding holes and we're making sure we're not getting dehydrated. Um, and we're also trying to make sure we don't give ourselves food poisoning. Yeah, that's key. Food poisoning is not, I, I've done that food. Not I, I mean, we all have, right? <laughs> Chicago pizza, if you're listening to this, screw you. Um, <laughs> you know, to add to your hydration, Elliot, is that one mistake I see people make is they, you know, they do pay attention to hydration. They get a little overexcited with just the plain water. And I think it's important you know, if you're reducing the amount of activity you you're doing, you're usually resting a little bit more. So the rest alone is going to do things like bring your gly glycogen stores up. You're sweating a lot less, those things. And so, yeah, hydration is important, but overdoing just the straight water can actually cause some problems that can, um, that can cause, you know, more problems with the hydration on race day. If it's so, so not overdoing that and making sure that it's a good mix of, you know, maybe a little bit of sports drink in those, in, in those, um, you know, fluids that you're drinking and, and just not getting too carried away with anything, you know, um, that's, that's the, that's the big thing with, that. I just wanted to add to that. Yeah. I'd like to add like some sort of electrolyte powder to my water and be more cognizant of that. Even three days out, I, I start to, I mean, I won't call it salt load, but just be a little more careful that I am taking on electrolyte, especially if I am like training a little bit less, maybe eating a little bit less, like bigger salty meals. Like I might after a big hard workout. So I'm trying to make sure I sprinkle a little bit of electrolyte powder throughout the day, um, in my bottles. So I'm staying on top of that. And then like Elliot said, like eating familiar foods, eating what you're used to eating, staying away from like, for me, it's like dairy, just making sure I'm staying totally away from dairy, eating the foods that are good for me to digest. And I do try and think about like, okay, like especially for an Ironman, I start to think about tipping those scales a little bit more towards carbohydrate. I'm not really changing a huge amount of what I'm eating, but like that, that portion of carbohydrate on my plate is going to be a little bit bigger than it might've been previously. And I, I think about kind of slowly increasing that over those three days. So no day is drastically different than what I would do normally. Just that slight shift where I have a little more carbo carbohydrate, maybe a little less protein and a little less fat and just like I'm still eating and a lot balanced. less fiber. Yeah, actually, I, I feel like I need to stay fairly stable with my fiber intake. I, um, I seem to be pretty good at like my pre-race evacuation and, uh, you worded I, that delightfully. <laughs> thanks. Um, but I do, I do know that that's a very, a very tricky thing. I know a lot of athletes that like will make sure they peel their apples three days before to get like, try and stay away from any sort of fiber. And that is one thing you need to be careful of, right? You need to be, you need to make sure you can be fairly regular on race morning and then not have anything happen race day. So the fiber point is, is great. Um, however, Marilyn gave, uh, myself using for someone I coached a, a great tip recently. Do you want to give out your Metamucil tip and why Marilyn? Yeah, it's sort of, it's kind of a, it's a strange tip that you're not going to read anywhere. And it's not like something you're going to find in most training nutrition. And my athletes are one for one on execution. Yeah, say. it's, so. you know, I, um, people who struggle in general with runner's trots or having issues when they race, 
Um, fortunately, I call it the run poos, but yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, one thing that was, was cool is growing up and through all sports and stuff like that. My dad was a physician and a surgeon. And so I was really struggling with that. And I, and he actually was the one that said to me, um, just, just have Metamucil every single night before you go to bed. And that wasn't like race week or something like that, or something new that you introduced. It was like throughout your entire year and season have Metamucil every night before bed. And he just explained it to me. Now I'm not a doctor or know the science behind it or anything, but it just basically like filled up the intestine, grab a hold of everything and get it out in the morning. So that then when you're out there running, you're don't have the GI distress and, and have trouble with the runner's trots. And, um, it worked for me. I didn't, I didn't question it. I didn't ask. I didn't like research why I certainly have never seen that in any sports nutrition, um, journals or, you know, heard it commonly recommended, but I know it works because I used it my whole career. And when I didn't do that, I would come back from every single run with one missing sock. So and, and, <laughs> like, I know a lot of people who are missing one sleeve on a shirt and then eventually the other sleeve's gone. So, <laughs> right. um, but, uh, I, I think so the, the issue, if, if you happen to be a person who, um, regularly is going to the bathroom, we're talking number two, on your runs, this is a pretty good thing to test out. Worst that's going to happen is essentially nothing because you're already having to go to the bathroom on every run. Um, so anyways, um, it's, it's worth testing out and essentially anecdotally from both yourself and one of my athletes, it's just like, Oh, okay. I used to go to the bathroom three times in the morning. Now it's once and it's a heck of a lot more. And essentially it's exactly as you said, my intestine is cleared out. So later in the day, anything you might've had to go with is no longer there and you're good to go. Um, I'm glad we devoted like four minutes to this because I think it's, I think there's like three people who listen to this who are all of a sudden going to have their problem solved. So I think you should yeah. test it out if you're one of those people. And I think it could help you a lot. So. Yeah. I mean, it certainly can make a difference if you're having to stop in the porta potty every you know, three miles on the run that, that chews up a lot of your run and just GI distress in general. So, you know, if it can, can help people and it's not a really common, commonly known thing. So I'm glad it helped. Yeah. And so I'm going to dovetail off that. And Jesse, since we're talking like pre-race avoiding everything. So if you're lactose intolerant and maybe you have lactose, but you take lactates, I'm speaking from experience again, if it's a big race, probably just don't have lactose two days before the race, because what's the benefit? I mean, you know, it's, it might be a part of your diet. It might be something you're comfortable with, but if it's consistently causing you problems, you can just pull that out. And then depending on who you are, some people, various kinds of fiber are going to have a massive reaction and it's going to be really bad. And if that's you and you're listening to this, you just say, okay, these are certain foods that just cause me a heck of a lot of trouble and just cut them out. And essentially we're going to have like the reductionist, <laughs> Um, I can't remember what it's called. Maybe it's the rice diet. I can't remember, but essentially like eating baby food a couple days before the race is not crazy if that's what works with your stomach. So that's the takeaway. Yeah. I, I also try and recommend that if people do have a sensitive stomach, they bring as much food as they can. So they're not eating out a ton. I see a lot of athletes do that where they're like, Oh, it's the night before the race. And we're eating out at this new restaurant and like maybe it's a Chicago pizza for Elliot or whatever. But it all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're just kind of rolling the dice with, with restaurant food, even though it's usually fine. You know, if, if the race is important, then you want to make sure you're just kind of taking away all the chances for things to miss. So you're, 
you're bringing your own food, you're being super careful. And even like my, my food poisoning experiences in Mexico, because I, I got a salad and I didn't think about that. The salad was washed in the water there. And, and so like, there's really simple things like that, where you really just have to make sure you're like thinking through yeah. all the things that could happen with the food you're eating. And, and Especially really just, when you do travel, I mean, the different countries, yeah. it might not even be something that's food poisoning. It's just, you're not used to what they eat. I, you know, Brazil, the Asian races, those kinds of things, great food. It might not be food poisoning, but your stomach's just not used to it. So if you're, you know, some of these races that are so great to go to, like, like we say, when, when the world opens up Brazil, Africa, um, all the Asian races go to them, it's an awesome experience, but pack your own food for sure for before the race and then, you know, have fun afterwards. Yeah. Go crazy afterwards, but (laughs) keep it simple. Eat your own food before the race. Mm -hmm. Should we move on to like night before the race or, and then race morning? Yeah. Yeah. Let's go day, day before full day. Or I like to, um, my personal preference is let's say you have a Saturday race Thursday dinner, you know, growing up, if you like ran high school cross country, everyone talks about Friday night dinner. You're giving me a funny look, Jesse, maybe I'm giving you a pro tip. Um, the two days before dinner. So essentially like I would personally like people to start loading, like carbo loading, really stocking up. 36 hours out, which, um, which is usually the dinner before. And then, and then I like to build that into the breakfast, the morning of, and part of that is essentially exactly what you're talking about. When you have your race morning evacuation, you're, you're fully loaded. You shouldn't have done any workouts that would cut into that. So as far as like your liver being stocked full of carbohydrates and you like your blood glycogen being all the way through the roof and and just you being ready to roll, you're good, but you didn't necessarily have to gorge yourself the night before the race. So you should be that perfect balance of like pretty empty stomach, but your body's ready to roll. Thoughts on that? I knew a lot of guys that, um, back when I was racing, they would do exactly what you're saying. They would, they would have a really big eating day. Let's say the race is on Saturday. So they're having a really big eating day on Thursday, but then by, and then a big breakfast on Friday morning, but then Friday to race morning, they essentially went on a a high calorie liquid diet and, and they had no more solids past like noon or even mid breakfast, like a sort of brunch the day before. And from that point on, it was a completely liquid diet, high calories, high carbohydrate and all the things they needed was completely liquid all the way up to race day. And Again, that's not for everybody. These are sort of like inside pro tips. If you're, you know, there's like, we can, we can go right through like, what's like the simplest, if you've got guts of steel and are, are, you know, it's easy for you to roll through these days and just stay pretty close to home and, and normal, what you normally do day to day and then show up a race and then everything to people who really struggle with GI distress, but being able to have the energy and the glycogen stores that they need to race. So that was like an inside sort of, um, you might not read that in a book somewhere because everybody's going to be talking about carbo loading. And then they think they need to have a whole bunch of potatoes and pasta and fill their belly full. And it's like, you know, I've seen it be really successful, more successful, more often actually to, you know, to piggyback off what you're saying the two days before. And then literally they went to like a complete liquid diet from noon right up until the race. It's also important for the listener to know when Marilyn said pasta, what she meant was the word pasta. If you're (laughs) If you're, wondering, if you're not Canadian, except yeah. for the Canadians. <laughs> if you're Canadian, you fully understood what that meant. <laughs> yeah. And I apologize. Um, 
but yeah, that's, that's, that's very true. And, and just like, it's like that time frame. Um, but you would, you want to keep eating essentially is what you're saying, but it's certainly a possibility. And, and I mean, let's be honest, a lot of those people are going to be pretty high strung you're talking about and nerves, certainly like the more nervous you get, the more anxious you get that can mess with people's stomachs. And so, you know, eating when you're less nervous, that 36 hours before is a great way to stay stay topped up, get topped up, and then not have to worry as much about stomach um, distress on the race day. Yeah. And, and no matter if you're able to eat food or you're going to a liquid diet at that point, I really try and encourage people to keep the meals smaller and maybe a little more frequent as they're moving closer and closer to that race day. So if you do have like a bigger dinner two nights before, and then a bigger breakfast the morning before, then maybe after that, the meals become like a little smaller, maybe a little more frequent. Maybe you're just sipping on like a bottle of like a thick sports drink between then and the race or whatever it is. But yeah, I like to stay away from those, those big meals where you do see some people still going out for like a huge pasta dinner the night before. <laughs> and that's uh, the first time you said that word in your life. <laughs> I was, I was trying to throw Marilyn a little help there. Um, and, and, you know, I, I really try and get people to stay away from that and yeah, just keep it small, keep it pretty simple and, and kind of get closer and closer to the race with more, almost like you do when you go through the race where the carbs get more and more simple. So yeah. let's take that and fast forward to race morning. Yeah. I, um, personally, or am I, am I taking this Jesse? So what I like to do is I, I, um, I like to, again, keep it pretty simple and keep it pretty high, high carbohydrate, and then really eliminating almost anything else. Like for me, I have a pretty strong stomach, so I can do some, some oatmeal with like peanut butter and honey, but I know a lot of people where that might be too much. And they might say, okay, definitely no peanut butter. And maybe oatmeal is, is too fibrous as well. So maybe they're going like white bread toast with like a little bit of a jam on there and obviously coffee, but I mean, obviously, obviously or not, or we're not not talking to you anymore. If you don't drink coffee. I, so I, I think one thing I, I would differ a little bit and this depends on the person. There's plenty of people I've coached who successfully use exactly what Jesse just said, but some people, let's say they were eating more the day and a half before in the morning, the, the morning, the day before, and not so much in the evening, like Marilyn said, a lot of times a bit of protein, whether it's like peanut butter, or any sort of nut butter, or like a hard boiled egg is super easy to just have like a single egg just for a little bit of protein and fat to feel kind of full. And so some people really need that. Um, I mean, heck, if I'm talking personally, I, I need it. Like it makes me like less anxious. That probably has something to do with my starvation from wrestling days, but, um, like it like seriously just fills my stomach up enough. And I'm like, okay, I'm full, even though I know, like, like I know physiologically I'm topped up. Um, but it lets me kind of like feel like, uh, like feel a little more stable and level. And that's just personal, but it, it's definitely a few people will need that. And I'm not talking about eating a steak in the morning. I'm literally talking about eating one or two hard boiled eggs. And the other thing is hard boiled eggs are super easy. If you're like at a race hotel or you're in the middle of nowhere, or you're in a different country, it's usually pretty easy to get something like that as well as, um, well, nut butter actually can be pretty darn hard to find in a lot of countries, but that's in a, in, the, in North America, that's a go-to for a lot of people. Yeah. And, you know, for people who struggle with uh, blood sugar issues of any kind, having obviously if you're have any extreme conditions like diabetes or any kind of, um, you know, 
blood sugar issues of any kind, then you're going to be working a lot closer with a sports nutritionist to dial in. It might not be as high carbohydrate based as what we're talking about. It might look completely different for me, for, for you, if that's your, you know, what you're working with as an athlete. And so make sure that you, you listen to that. If you're, you know, I, I have a couple athletes that race with diabetes and if they did exactly what we're talking about, they'd end up in the mid tent before they ever even started. So it's important to remember that these recommendations that we're giving are for, you know, most people, but there's always going to be um, exceptions to the rule for sure. I think it's, um, I'd like to hear both your opinions on timing of food in the morning before the race start, because I've, I've heard everything from people getting up at like one in the morning um, to, you know, have a shake and get some calories in. And then they go back to sleep till like three 30 or four. And then they have like, they call it their second breakfast. And then the race starts at like 7.00 AM. I never, ever did that as an athlete. I was like, man, it's, a, I'm not, I don't love really early Ironman starts. So like, I was like, I am not getting up any earlier than I need to. And I would just have mine, you know, two, two, three hours before the start, the breakfast, and then make sure I had something about, an hour before down at the race start and then just be sipping on stuff before maybe a gel 30 minutes before. But I've, I've heard everything from, I've heard a lot of people getting up like midnight, one in the morning to have, you know, a first breakfast and then a second breakfast and all these things. Where do you so guys stand on that? I, I think a lot of the information, like if you're going back 15, 20 years ago, if you were like sitting in an ex-phys class, there was a lot of professors who were essentially like, you need to load, you need to load, you need to load. And then that trickled down to exactly what you're talking about. But like, and they're like, you know, cause like you're burning, like you're burning stuff while you're sleeping. Oh no, you're not going to be perfectly topped off, but you're going to top off. No problem. You don't burn through 900 calories while you sleep, you know, you're dormant. That's like your lowest burn level you're going to go through. Yeah. Um, so you can easily wake up a couple hours before the race and do that. Some people might want to wake up three or four hours before if they have a really slow digestive system and they know they're going to be super anxious and the more anxious you are, the harder it is to digest. So if that's you, maybe you do need to eat four or three and a half hours before, but if that's not you, you're going to be perfectly okay doing what Marilyn said, which is essentially like an hour and a half to two and a half hours. Um, and this is all assuming you're not eating a 1500 calorie breakfast, right? If you're eating steak and eggs and bacon, 90 minutes before your race and you've got a swim. good on you. That's yeah. I mean like great. Cause you're going to figure out a way to gain rate weight doing an Ironman, but like, um, I mean, not really, but, um, th that's not a, a great idea, but your standard race morning breakfast, which is what we're kind of trying to get at, right. Where you're getting in 400, uh, 800 calories, you're going to be topped up, ready to go. And it's, honestly more important to make sure you go to the, have a bowel movement and drink enough water and make stay sure you're hydrated. You want to be hydrated after you sleep. You can't drink water while you sleep. That's probably your first priority. Yeah. I, I don't ever recommend athletes set an alarm for the middle of the night. I think that that night before the race sleep is already hard enough. Um, personally, I get pretty nervous and I might wake up at midnight or one o'clock and have a a nervous bowl of cereal, but it's not part of my race plan. It's more just because I can't sleep. Wait, that's what you do every day though. Well, every night, not every day. Come on. Oh, it, every night, not every day. Do you know the difference between night and day, Elliot? I eat my cereal at night. Um, <laughs> but, and I, I also, I do really think it's important. I like to have breakfast and recommend people have breakfast three hours before. And if they're not willing to get up three hours before, then I, 
I talk about making it more and more simple. So I like to eat something that like is fairly satisfying. Like Elliot was talking about with the egg. I like to have some peanut butter, some oatmeal, like a fairly heavy, like over 800 calorie breakfast. So I want to do that over three hours before. I know people that don't want to do quite that much and don't want to get up quite that early. And we just talk about like the, as you get closer and closer, the meal needs to get more and more simple. So if you're only waking up two hours before, maybe you need to just have something that's like already processed for you, like some sort of like power bar, a cliff bar that's, you know, basically been chewed up once already. And so when you put it in your body, it digests really fast. Um, and then if you get even closer, sorry, sorry. no, take it. And then as you get even closer, then maybe it is just getting more and more to straight liquid nutrition or like gels with, with a bunch of water, something like that. So that the closer you get to the race, more and more simple sugar, it's going to be. And that also means if you wake up later, you need to eat a little bit less or eat more processed food. So just depending on where people are in that kind of sliding scales is where I talk about like how much they eat and what source it's from. And then the important thing, when you're saying more processed, you all, you're also like, saying less fiber yeah less fiber yeah um yeah and also it's like a lot of people when they wake up race morning like you're saying nervous right jesse it's like what tastes good every single day you're like i eat that every day and it looks yummy and the race morning you're like ugh, and you like can't even you can't even i remember i couldn't ever eat oatmeal race morning because it's like no way i was getting a spoonful of that down so you know, people get nervous and they actually can't eat what they normally do. They're like trying to gnaw on a bagel at three in the morning. And it's like, they don't normally eat at that hour and it's going down. Like that doesn't taste good and all of that stuff. So, um, I don't know, sorry, I sort of butted in there over you, but it's good to sort of point out the reality of some things we can say like, Oh, this is what you eat, but it's not, it's not necessarily going to be like, Oh, yum. It's three in the morning. I can't wait to eat peanut butter and oatmeal. It's like, Oh, I'm jamming this down and it doesn't feel great or taste great. So, so make it something you want to eat. Or like, I actually used to just have two insurers. That's what I'd have just two insurers. And then if I felt like having a banana on the way to the drive to the race and then a gel 30 minutes before I was good. Cause I was like, no way am I eating all that oatmeal or whatever. Um, then I wouldn't end up having anything because I couldn't get it down. So insure so stock went up. I feel like in the early two thousands, purely from triathletes, but yeah, that was, that was big. Dive. yeah, it was a huge thing or muscle milk or something like that. Um, so that brings me to a, a point that I know we all talked about a little bit beforehand is that it's, it's really important to, to practice whatever you're going to try. Like whether you do a race sim workout, we're like, okay, I'm going to wake up two hours before. If you're Maryland, you're going to slam a couple insurers and whatever, whether it's what your would Jesse do? Uh, it's, it's going to involve peanut butter and honey, no matter what I device, I get that in my face on. It's going to be a bagel. Yeah, exactly. Bread. Okay. Uh, any, any vehicle is fine. Okay. Um, but, but the thing is, is you want to practice that you want to have experience where you're like, I'm nervous for this workout. I'm feel a little jittery in the morning. I'm going to practice eating what what I want to practice eating on race day. Just, just to give one of the best examples I've ever seen of this is I showed up at, at wildflower, which is a fun race used to used to exist back in, back in the old days. And they put you in a house with a bunch of people. You don't know a bunch of other professional athletes. This guy shows up and he has a, like a six pack of like Thomas, like store-bought uh, bagels. And he's like, Oh, I'm going to eat six of these bagels before the race. 
Oh God. <laughs> and and we were like, are you are you sure you're gonna eat six plain bagels the morning of a half iron? And he's like, Yeah. We're like, okay, he sounds confident, so he's probably done this before. And you know, walk down race morning and we're all getting like our, our breakfast ready. And there he is at the toaster, just slamming down like six giant, like I think these bagels are probably like 350 calories each. And I'm like, I'm just impressed. Number one, that's, that's impressive. But then we get to the race course and all of a sudden you get like halfway through the bike and there's this guy doubled over on the side of the road. I'm like, Oh, that's looks like that six, six bagels was not something you practiced. So <laughs> Moral of the story is don't eat six bagels and practice what you're going to eat race morning. And if you email us a question, we'll maybe tell you who that person was offline. <laughs> All right. So I feel like we've, we've hammered away a race morning for quite long enough. You guys ready to move into, into the race or, or I guess we didn't actually talk about like electrolyte before the race. Should we stick to that for a second? Or even other things you might want to eat before the race. Yeah, like I, I mean, mentioned so coffee. Beet, beet loading's a thing. Coffee deprivation and adding is a thing. Salt loading is a thing. Um, we talked loading. about the Metamucil. What else, Marilyn? Magnesium loading. I, yep. I don't know that each one of I mean, each one of these could get pretty in depth and turn into an entire um, segment itself. So I don't know if you want to. So what we should say is look into. Yeah, I would look at I would look into like the the benefits of of like beets and then look into like how you respond to caffeine and know whether or not maybe upping that on race morning is a good thing or not. And and look into like, you know, know what kind of sweater you are and know if that means you need to start doing a little bit of extra salt the night before morning of. And maybe it's maybe it's some other electrolyte, maybe it's magnesium or something else, but make sure you've done a little bit of research or talked to some people and, and got an idea of like what kind of person you are and what you need to do pre-race to get to the starting line topped up in all the above. Elliot, why are you laughing at me? I was trying so hard to say, don't be a Cosby sweater. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other but, thing, but then you said it. Just real quick to touch on it and we'll get into it with race nutrition as well. But anyone who's on any kind of medications really wants to know they want to make sure they consult with their doctor about how their medication and long distance racing go together and in particular i've seen athletes where they're coming into an ironman with maybe a little bit of a niggle or something like that and they've been taking some advil or ibuprofen going into a race that's um something you're going to want to stop at least you know three days before the race um and we can talk about that that's just the you know you're, you're at high risk for hyponatremia when you're, when you're doing that. And so those are, um, well, one, I don't really recommend racing injured. So let's start there, but that's another conversation. Um, we've all had to do it, but I don't recommend it. And, um, and then, Unless yeah, it's your job or it's like a world championships probably don't that, do it. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah. So then the other piece of that is if you're on any kind of medications or on any kind of NASADs of any kind, making sure that you are aware of the effects of those before you go into long races, because they're real and they could cause a lot of problems for you health-wise. I mean, I've seen people really mess up their stomachs and, and have big, big problems end up in med tents and hospitals over those kinds of things. So it's, it's worth just mentioning. Yeah. And if you are on some sort of prescription, make sure that you know whether or not you're allowed to be on that racing 
And if you need to get like a TUE for that, you definitely should do that. And, um, well ahead of time, maybe before then. And, and no, yeah, it's, it's your responsibility to know no matter what. So figure that out. Don't race on drugs. Anyways. Especially if you're proudly anti-drug online and then you do it anyways. I don't know who we'd be talking about, but don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> um, all right. So we've eaten our breakfast. We've loaded up on caffeine and hit the beats and whatever else. And we're on the starting line. What happens next? The gun goes off. You start swimming. You get out because you can't do anything besides drink some sewage water in the swim. And that's not recommended. And, um, I think we're probably all here. I mean, obviously you do, 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 do uh, you do T1 and I think we're all probably in agreement. I didn't ask ahead of time, but trying to eat something within the first five minutes, or if you're drinking something that has calories, getting in calories, cause the period of time where you go the longest without calories is the swim. So you start at your biggest deficit and we want to get some calories in ASAP and start hydrating. Um, and if you can do those two at the same time, I personally like to tell people kind of like, if you make it to mile three and you haven't taken in calories, that's a no, no. Um, and uh, so I'm just assuming you're talking, talking about on the bike. Iron- uh, yeah, but like in an Ironman where it's like a fairly long swim, you're going to have that even, even a half Ironman. Cause you um, still just jammed it out for. I mean, cause if, if you're drinking something, what you want something with carbohydrate, cause you wouldn't go 30 minutes on the bike ride without eating. Yeah. I would say that that that's great advice. As long as people can handle that, like that, the sensation of from going horizontal to vertical and then jumping on the bike, especially if you were in like salt water, it could, it can be hard for people's stomachs to go straight to, to digesting calories. So some people do need that, that 15 minutes on the bike to kind of settle in, breathe, calm down before they can start taking in something that has, has any calories. I'm and personally that, not, I would say practice trying to eat earlier. And if you can't follow Jesse's advice, and if you can follow my advice, but I think the big thing is just no matter what practice, right? No, yeah, know yeah, what yeah. you can or can't do, but I think I, the, hopefully Marilyn agrees that like the earlier you can start that process is definitely, is definitely better, but you have to make sure like your stomach is ready for that. Like Marilyn's I can tie break. I can slam a gel in T1 and it's totally fine. And like, normally I would not recommend people slam a gel in T1 when their heart rate is sky high and they're like running through to jump on their bike. But some people can do it and that's totally fine. I happen to be one of those people, but I know a lot of people that need to like wait until they settle in tiebreaker. I also, yeah, well, here's the tiebreaker. It's going to be very Canadian of me. Oh gosh. Very fence sitter. Are you Um, sorry? (laughs) I'm Oops, sorry. Uh, No, it's the, it depends on what kind of racer you are. I mean, if you're racing at high intensity on the swim and you plan to hop on your bike and pin it for the first 40 kilometers because you're trying to race for the front of the race and your heart rate's super high, you're probably either going to be well-practiced like Jesse and know that you've got guts of steel and can handle getting down calories real fast. Um, or you're going to need to let things settle down and then get into your calories once you're situated on your bike and in position and, and where you want to be. If you're out there for, you know, um, if you're more pacing your swim and you're out there for a long time, if you're out there for an hour 15, an hour 30, an hour 40 plus, and, um, you know, your heart rate is steady and strong, but it's not pinned. 
and you go through transition fairly, you know, comfortably and you take your time through transition, maybe even sit down and change those kinds of things. I think you can have a pretty good solid snack and while you're doing that in transition and get some calories in because you've been out there a lot longer and your intensity is much lower. So I think depends so Canadian of me, it depends on what your race dynamic is. And like you'd said, obviously, yes, practicing, it's going to be different, but, and it might be different, different races. I mean, I know if you're racing for the front in a race, like uh, the world championships, you know, if you're in a saltwater swim, it's a really tough swim and you're absolutely maxed out. And it's essential as a top racer to get on out there position wise with the group, you might not be able to get down um, calories, even within that first 10, 15 minutes, but it's going to be important to get hydration. in. so it really, that I think I'm going to cut you off. I think like that's where I I think like, even if you're racing for the win at the world championships, eventually that's going to bite you in the butt and there's no way you're going to have a good day. If you go two hours without something. Oh yeah. Two hours. Yeah. Well, you had mentioned earlier, like the difference between five minutes and 15 15 minutes on the bike, you know, like if you're, if it takes you 15 minutes to the group or you're able to slam a gel and transition, like those are just, but I, I think it's also like you have to set up your habits early. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons I say that is like, personally, I actually do think that the difference between going 55 minutes without calories versus 70 is kind of a big deal when you're at that super high burn rate of somebody who's trying to win a world championships. But we're also talking about people who probably have calories in a water bottle. So maybe they're not eating anything, but you can drink calories for three, four, five, six hours. You you know, you can do a whole Ironman without ever taking in a solid. So I think what we're both trying to say is like, you need to practice eating sooner Maybe you can't eat sooner, but if you can't eat sooner, you always need to consider what's the way to eat. Uh, you know, it's always better to eat one minute sooner than one minute later. That's yeah. kind of the take home we're both saying. I would Absolutely. say. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah and no, I, I think, yeah. I think the clock starts at the same time too, right? So you know, you get on the bike and kind of your your window of eating opens up, and then once it once it starts, do you guys have like uh, a calorie per hour that? that you have athletes go to and like maybe that first hour is yeah, slightly backloaded depending on when you, how you can start. But, um, yeah, do you have a go-to calorie per hour or does it depend on like the kilogram of the athlete or the intensity of the athlete? What do you guys think about that for like specifically the bike portion? I mean, the, the general rule, um, that they teach you in school is like one gram of carbohydrate per kilogram of body weight. Right. So if you weigh, if you weigh six, yeah, per hour, sorry left that part out but if you train it and if your carbohydrate source is like like if you have multiple different sources of carbohydrate and just like look at the back of your various products and you'll see all the different things um you can get that up to 1.5 grams of carbohydrate per kilogram of body weight per hour which is a big difference that's the difference for me personally that's the difference between like 250 calories an hour versus almost 400 And I know like when I raced bikes, I regularly put down 400 plus calories an hour, no problem for hours on end. Um, and I guess I probably did that in half Ironmans as well. Now that I think about it. Um, but that's cause I trained to do it and I did it regularly. And then before I trained to do that, that just had me puking everywhere. 
Yeah. And big Uh, difference between if you're just racing a bike and you're not going to have to run afterwards. True. Very true. Yeah. Yeah, Like having to run, run afterwards. Nutrition looks a lot different than if you're like, if you're doing a six, seven, eight hour gravel race, what your stomach's going to be able to handle versus going to have to run a half marathon or marathon afterwards. Totally, totally different from one another. Yeah. And that, and that's to keep in mind as well. And so the, the one thing, like when you're testing this out in training, me personally, I know one of the main reasons I have people do any sort of run off the bike is I call it like the energy check and the stomach check. It's like, where is your stomach at after? Okay. You ate 250 calories an hour, five, 500 calories an hour, somewhere between. Um, if you're a smaller person, maybe only 200, but can you run afterwards? Um, that's a very good point. So Maryland. Yeah, I, I just go with gut check for those run off the bikes because gut check kind of covers all the above, right? Yep. <laughs> I guess I it think does. it's also important. That it's, it's different in different conditions, right? We talked about that with conditions on our last podcast. I mean, if it's hot, um, what you're going to be able to tolerate versus when it's really cold, what, how much more you're going to need is going to be different. Um, I remember back in the day, and even there's, there's, sport, there's nutrition products out there. Now, if you've used special needs, on the Ironman and you've got, you know, I always say whatever you put in special needs or whatever you're going to have on your bike for a long period of time in a hot race, if you would be happy to leave it on the pavement in the sun for three hours and know that it's not going to spoil and then you're happy to put it in your body, then then that's that's good. So in other words, those drinks that have protein in it or have something that might spoil or they have like a bunch of added um vitamins or whatever they might add in there. If it's sitting out in your special needs for, you know, all morning and all day. And by the time you get to it, it's had a chance to spoil in any way. And then you go ahead and put that in your body. Of course, you're going to have GI distress later on the bike or on the run. So you need to think those things through. Um, you know, maybe that's a turkey sandwich. It might not work out well with mayo. I've seen everything, right? (laughs) Fried chicken. (laughs) Oh man. Did you really see somebody do fried chicken? Yeah. I've seen that out on special needs. And of course that's going to, you know, obviously that's going to go poorly, but I think, and yeah, again, also taking into account, if you're racing really hard, you're burning a lot more calories in a shorter period of time. So it's a, you're racing at a higher intensity. So it's harder for your body to absorb those calories. You have less time to get it in. Um, and if it's a hot race, it's even harder. It's for your GI to, to process that and you're burning more. So this becomes a whole nother conversation of the type of training that you do coming in and all of that, but that's, those are things to consider. So conditions, how long you're going to be out there, the intensity that you're racing. Um, these are all really important factors to take into consideration with your nutrition plan. Um, so to kind of boilerplate this. I, I would say that, and you guys can, can stomp all over this if you want to, but I would say like when we're talking about boilerplate for, I guess, rules or, or guidelines for what you can eat while you're riding, I would say that the harder you're going, the more simple it's going to be. And it's all like, we're looking at mostly carbohydrate here, mostly forms of sugar, um, like maltodextrin, fruco- fructose, dextrose, some mix of those, depending on what you've handled or what you handle well. Mm-hmm. And I would say like, 200 to 400 calories an hour, again, based on what you can do and how hard you're going. You got to think and if you're, you're a big boy, you could do more than that. Yeah. Maybe 200 to 500. Yeah. Um, 
And, and then again, you've practiced this and then you, like Marilyn said, you need to take in consideration like the temperature. So the one variable that is really dependent with those calories is the amount of fluid and electrolyte you're also taking in. So like hot day, I like to think about like minimum trying to get down two bottles an hour, which, which is hard, but like, you know, I want to be able to run and I want to be hydrated. So I'm trying to get down two bottles of, of water with all that food. Some of that's mixed together, but that's fine. And then also some electrolyte. So it's high, high processing demand on your gut. But then again, I'm also burning in the, in the ballpark of like a thousand calories an hour when I'm racing someone who maybe is like racing at a slightly lower percent of their threshold, then they're going to be burning less calories. Demands are going to be a little bit lower. So this has got to be scaled based on what you train for the temperature and the intensity in which you're racing. Totally. How is that for a boilerplate for the bike? Yeah. That I'm going to give you an A minus just cause I don't, I want you to keep reaching. Let's make a quick mention about on the bike, uh, caffeine. Some people use caffeine in their gels. Some people don't use caffeine at all. Some people do like a caffeine bomb at like halfway or at like 120 K into the bike. Um, any thoughts on that? It's great. As long as it doesn't give you the shakes or the shits. Um, <laughs> shakes and, and the shits, that's awesome. <laughs> but, um, I just thought of that. I'm proud of myself, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's the, that's the real answer is like, if you look at it, it's, it's going to help, right? I believe it helps you oxidize fat better, um, off the top of my head. And so like, that's, that's a performance gain. However, um, for a lot of people also, it can like kind of tie your gut up. And for some people it gives you diarrhea for some people, it, it does, um, dehydrate you a little bit as well. And so like that can be an issue as well. So you just have to figure out like for you as a person, is that a good thing or a bad thing? And it's interesting. Cause you said like, do you do a bunch of it? And certain people can just run an insane amount of caffeine and certain people just can't. And some people can do a little bit. And I know I personally found out like, oh, I can do X amount of caffeine and anything more than that is absolute devastation. And anything less than that is kind of like less than op optimal. And most people do in fact, kind of find um, their, their middle ground, wherever that is. And I think you should be willing to experiment that in training quite a bit. And everyone always talks about co-heroics. Essentially, co-heroics is back when caffeine wasn't popular. And which this is people who are talking about, I save Coke until mile 20 of an Ironman. If caffeine is working for you, pull the Jesse Vondracek and just double fist Red Bull from the gun. Um, I don't know if you're still doing, uh, probably not Jesse, but um, like that's something that a few people have done really successfully. If they can handle caffeine, just keep pounding it. And if there's no ill effects, you know, more caffeine, the better. Yeah. I mean, the, the one thing that I I've noticed seems to be fairly common across the board is like, if once you start hitting caffeine, you kind of need to keep that caffeine train going and maybe even slightly increase the amount of caffeine you're taking in. Um, so yeah, if you're going to start, if you're going to do like a, a hard amount of caffeine in the middle of the bike, then I feel like people need to keep backing it up while they're kind of getting that lull. And that's, that's what I always say about like Coke as well. Like, and I feel like that's why people tend to push Coke out a little bit is because if you hit it early, then you, you can't miss. And I, I've noticed this in my own racing. Like if I hit Coke at mile one, that's fine, but I need to hit Coke, like whatever it is every 10 minutes or something. Cause I can't have that. Cause it's, it's such fast sugar. And there's like that caffeine just gets like straight in your veins somehow that 
if you go off that, then you need to jump back on um, pretty quick. So that kind of kind of melded into the run there. Mm -hmm. And um, just to kind of get there, I always like to back off with nutrition a little bit as I'm ending the bike to make sure my stomach's in a decent place and hammer hydration. So I'm like super, super few topped up with fluid. And there's been a few minutes before uh, I've eaten so that I can transition from bike to run and not go crazy when I stand up. And then if you're a person who's doing solid foods, I would definitely heed Jesse's point even more so. Um, and maybe back off the solid foods as far from the end of the bike as you can to kind of like let your gut settle down. That tends to be more of an issue for people who do solid foods than, than liquid. Um, something to keep in mind. Yeah. And I think also even just, um, uh, the, the other thing is if, if you're taking sodium in, make sure that you, again, it's, it's different for different conditions. So, I mean, I used to use straight up salt in my bottles, but there's all kinds of really nice products out there that aren't so harsh now. Um, I think, you know, making sure that you're getting that steady stream of salt, whether it be from your gels or your nutrition, or if you need extra to know that and practice it beforehand. And, um, and that's something that you should keep, like you're saying with the caffeine, same thing. If you're someone who needs to supplement sodium for, if you're a heavy sweater or a salty sweater, or you easily cramp those kinds of things, it's a hot race that you're keeping that consistent and steady through the bike. And then as you transition into the run, we've been talking for a long time. So we're trying to get to the run. Uh, two other quick pro tips that I want to throw out there for the bike is that I do like, even though 98% of my calories come from liquid, I like to have a little bit of solid food on there just to kind of make me feel satiated, like, like the egg in the morning or whatever. And what's then, your solid food choice? Um, gummy bears mm. or yeah, something small like that, that I can just kind of yeah. grab a handful so of something to chew, something to chew on. Yeah, exactly. And then this is actually, uh, I, I stole this one from a, a Lindsay Corbin article, I believe, but throwing a, a piece of gum in there or something. Cause when you've been doing nothing but shoving sugar in your face for like four hours, just chewing gum for like five minutes can actually like make my mouth just like feel a little bit better. She eats nonstop. <laughs> I mean, I've done a lot of hundred plus mile rides with her and I use her as my epitome of most calories you can consume. Um, I would literally like, this is not meant as an insult. This is meant as like the highest of compliments. She is the best. I think her eating skills are what make her world-class. She's been practicing it for well past 15, like 15 years now. And she just is like day to day, everything we talked about, like practice this, practice this. That's what she does. Um, I've never actually noticed her eat gum, but we haven't ridden in a while. So maybe and, that's her newest trick. And she's really good at her job. So probably a good person to emulate in that. Yeah. She's really good at her job and she's super good at not fading and just like charging all the way through the finish line. So I think, and I do not think the nutrition is an accident that she, that those go hand in hand. Um, so. All right, onto the run. Run, you're bouncing around a little bit more. It's in general harder for most people to eat a fair amount while they're running. And I think this also changes like we were talking about with intensity, faster and drink. running. It's harder to yeah, drink too. It's, it's harder to run and drink. There's always those grace rate, great race shots where people are throwing Gatorade over their shoulder or something just completely missing. Um, what are your, uh, what are your go-tos for like, calories and sodium, et cetera, on the run. 
So my um, my one pro tip for the run, especially hot races and and marathons, I think actually any marathon, this is a really a, a strategy that works really, really well. I've seen it work for athletes that I've recommended and I used to use it all the time. And actually where I stole it from was way back in the day, Peter Reed was the one that taught, taught me this. Uh, if you don't know who he is, look him up. But it was, you take a little 500 mil bottle and fill it with 300 calories of CarboPro and a little bit of salt. And your goal is within the first five kilometers to finish that. And then you just chuck the bottle. Like I'd use one of those little plastic uh, 500 mil bottles and one that you, you get, you know, good amount of calories really early on. You get some salt really, early on. You have to slow down a little to carry that and get that down. And you get right off the bat, 500 milliliters of, of fluid at the start of a marathon, especially in hot races. And, and that little pro tip trick, man, does it work for hot races really, really well. I think it, it helps for most people doing a marathon actually. Yeah. I think that it's no, no coincidence that my, most of my successful runs have started out with me carrying my own nutrition. And, and like Marilyn said, like it can be something small and condensed. And I like to do, yeah, like one of those hand flasks where I've got like, doesn't matter what product you use. I, I use F2C and like, I can cram like 400 calories in there with a little bit of water and it's pretty thick, but I just hit a sip of that before I hit the aid station and then wash it down with water. And that can carry me for, for quite a while. And then basically what you're trying to do is set yourself up for success on the back half of the run. Um, even if the calories per hour are usually a little bit lower, like even down to maybe like half what you're doing on the bike, or maybe like two thirds, you're eating a little bit less, but trying to keep that frequency going. And then really trying to think about setting yourself up for success on the back half. So focusing on, on making sure you stay dialed in on the front half of the marathon. Um, yeah, I think I, a mistake that people will make on the run is um, they think, well, I ate so much on the bike. I don't need to eat that much on the run. And I think little and often is really important. So if you're going to like, we say front end load like that, if you can, it's going to help you pace a little bit better, be more patient, be a little front end loaded on the marathon, but then little and often all the way, right? Like make some people be like, oh, well, my stomach's starting to shut down because I've been out there all day. You it's a little bit. And often you're better off to have something every 10 or 15 minutes. That's little than wait too long and end up, you know, having to, lose energy, like in that last 10 K where it gets really, really hard. Where things really are shutting down. I, I agree with, uh, basically everything you guys said. I just realized we went through almost an entire hour and we never once mentioned a modium. We talked about all these ways to avoid going to the bathroom on the run in the first place. And then the last line of defense is if you do all of those things and you're still have no way through it, pop an emodium or two, um, on the bike ride and possibly on the run as well. And that is kind of like the, uh, oldest trick in the book to make sure you're avoiding excessive bathroom stops. And again, if you're going to do that, make sure you've practiced it. it make sure work. you've practiced it. Start with a really small dose. Like I never suggest anybody start with over half a, a half, a. I believe the normal dose is two pills. And I usually have most people start with half a pill and then build maybe to a pill, maybe to two, but like, you want to use as little as possible, but it's like you said, if you're practicing this, you're practicing your, your pre-race nutrition in a hard training session, you're doing your whole training session with your race nutrition, and then you might be hopping off for a short run. And then you're going to see, do your Jesse gut check. 
And at that point, you're going to say like, oh, okay, well, when I do this next time, do I need the emodium or not? If so, I'm going to start small. Do I still need it? Check it again and again and again. Ultimately, you want to be like Lindsay. And then, and then last up, like it's, oh, you want to have this dialed in plan, right? But then, you know, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. And on the race course, especially on the run, I, I, I feel like it's really good to be flexible with what you're doing. Like I'll often do something like grab a handful of pretzels or grab a, a thing of chews or something. Cause I just feel like I need something like I feel like I need salt right now or something like that. So I'd say be willing to troubleshoot how you're feeling and where you're at in the race and, and be willing to kind of deviate from your plan um, with something that's kind of in your acceptable foods that you can eat. Yeah, and definitely, you know, for the for the athletes that are going to be out there just a little bit longer and at a lower intensity rate, um, hyponatremia can be a real problem. So, you know, making sure that you're not just overdoing the water on the run, that you're getting getting in those, you can tolerate a little more solids if you're racing at a lower intensity and making sure that you're, you're grabbing for things like those pretzels or, you know, even the chicken broth out there or the salt tablets and, and staying with the sports drink, that kind of stuff that you're not just overdoing water while you're out there and and then you know you're wondering what happens with with hyponatremia and that kind of thing um one one thing that i used when i was racing later in the race in the marathon when your stomach isn't maybe taking in gels as much or you're having a little bit of like i just can't take anymore but i don't have much of this race left over however i still need some kind of energy i used to actually use those glucose tablets um, and I would just start having one every 10 or 15 minutes. I basically always had one in my mouth, just in the corner of my mouth. Some people use Jolly Ranchers, that kind of thing. But, you know, if the stomach starts to really shut down on that last quarter of the marathon and you're, you're trying your best, you're trying to get the sports drink down, you may be even grabbing Cokes and it's, it's just like everything, you know, you need the energy to finish, um, but you're just not tolerating that much anymore. And you don't have that much further to go. I always had, um, a little canister of those glucose tablets and just started having one of those every 10, 15 minutes to get me to the finish. And, and that can be a pretty helpful tip as well. Awesome. I think we could continue talking about this for another hour, but I think it's probably a pretty good place to wrap it up. And I think the heavy hitters are making sure you're practicing what you're going to do and, and you, so that you get to the course with some experience. And yeah, if you have individual questions about anything that you that you want to try or you have tried or you could try, uh, feel free to reach out to any one of us. I'm Jesse and I'm at Top Step Training. Oh, I'm uh, Elliot Bassett on Instagram and MTN Endurance um, or Mountain Endurance on Instagram and mtnendurance.com. Yeah. And if you go to um, my library on mcc.coach, I've got lots of articles that, you know, might guide you through some of these steps, give you some different ideas, that kind of thing. It's uh, I've got a whole section there labeled nutrition. So you can have a little browse through those and um, see if some of those might add some more thoughts to the things that we're talking about. This is a pretty big topic, so we could talk for a long time on it for sure. I mean, we left out half of what we wanted to talk about and it's our longest podcast. <laughs> <laughs> right. And and yeah, I will put a link to that in the show notes. Um, so yeah, you can, you can check it out there for some more tips. But thank you guys for, for hanging on for this long. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Cheers.